Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, July 21st, the year 2022 on the West Coast. And of course, you're entering into Friday already on the East Coast. Which will be a nice break for us all tomorrow. Before we begin tonight, just a quick reminder on MyPillow.com. This is a company that's truly amazing. Continues to fund and fight for the restoring of liberty, especially election 2020. For those of you who don't know, in August the 20th, there's going to be the new film, which is Selection Code with Laura Logan. I have been invited along with, I think there's about a thousand people in all in the country that were invited. It'll be out in Missouri. So I'll be giving you some live updates or at least some updates on the podcast while I'm there of what the movie is, what the discussions are. Should be a really good event. And that's all funded by Mike Lindell. And it's supposed to be quite the film. So I say all that just in context. MyPillow.com is a Patriot company. We have an amazing and special landing page for Bards Nation, which is MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. So head on over there. Use your Bards promo code B-A-R-D-S. There's all sorts of great products and great savings. There's an amazing sale right now on Percal, Percal bed sheets. I just ordered a set. And they're, they're a lighter sheet for the summer. Very comfortable, fantastic sheet. And we have also, as always, the MyPillow Classic 1998. 1988 with your promo code. And also check out the full range of slippers and thongs for the summer. They've got a new line of slippers for summer that aren't lined. And they're, instead of $139.98, they're $49.98 with your promo code BARDS. And so many more things. Towel sets, beds. I mean, it's just, it's really great. And it's, the product quality is fantastic. Their service is amazing. And it's, it's just a great company, obviously. And, and it, so much of what, the great thing about that is when we spend money there for things that we do need, then we're also spending money to help the nation at the same time. Mike Lindell is an amazing giving person and has really put all in on this fight. So again, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. And if you want to speak to a real person, you can call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. Use your promo code Bards and a Patriot Pillow Counselor will be there on standby. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want to read something tonight that I seldom ever do. I don't think I've ever done it, in fact. And this is a comment that I just came across on Apple Podcasts about the podcast. Now, Apple, by the way, thank you for all the amazing comments of those out there that are listening on Apple Podcasts. That podcast is ranked at 4.8 overall stars out of 5 with 1.2 thousand, it's 1,200 comments, which is really something. But this comment's interesting. This is a one-star comment, okay? And the reason I want to read it is in part prefaced by 1 Timothy 6.10, but it's also a very interesting perspective on the concepts of influence and the concepts of free will. So let me read this, and we're going to discuss it a little bit. Now, in fairness, I'm getting, I'm responding to the comment, and I don't know he's talking about someone who listens to the podcast, so I don't have that other voice in here. So I'm just going to respond to the podcast as we go through it. So let me read through it. And this is a, it's from The Dabbing Ender. This was published in May, in fact. It says, Right off the top, it says, good Christian message, otherwise very stupid. (laughs) Okay, that's me, I guess, right? All right, so it says, I agree with the Christian message, but everything else is ruining people's lives. Just over a year ago, my best friend's family has fallen fallen to all but ruin. He's 17 and I'm 16. His father was making more than six figures a year, and his family was happy and healthy until his company was going to make them take the shot. His dad fought hard against it, and they came to him with an opportunity to, for a complete exemption on the grounds of religion. He denied it all because of the logic and reasoning pumped into him from this podcaster. Huh, that's interesting. I didn't know I had that much influence. Since then, 
He moved away, and I did not see them again until just yesterday. The happy, healthy family I moved, I knew from just a year ago is dead. I learned that because he had to leave his job, and he had to cash in his 401k, and he's 52. They are convinced that the 5G Ultra Band is going to do something to their brains. They were all wearing glorified tinfoil hats when I met them. Most of the, of the financial decisions made now are based on the false assumption that, the, is, that it is driven from this podcast that the economy is months away from collapsing and it won't matter anyways. My friend is 17 and up until he started listening to the podcast two years ago, he had a future. He was, he was being educated. Now he has decided to put a stop to school and pursue a career in blacksmithing with a which is a hobby because the economy is going to collapse soon and he will need a, to barter for things. I ask one question. Are we in a bartering economy now? I write this to warn people off of this cultish community this podcaster has built. Don't let it ruin your life like it has ruined my best friend's life. So I just want you all to know to begin with, thank you for being part of this cult. I appreciate it. Um, here's what's interesting. And it just points out a few things. This is a real interesting perspective. There's no sense of free will in that. And everything is, is evaluated through the perspective of a six-figure job as if that's happiness and a 401k as if that's happiness. And the interesting thing is that the, his friend who chose not to pursue an educated life is now a fool because he's not going to get a degree, but instead is gaining a trade and is learning skills that he will be able to use in real life to exchange in, to do whatever. It's fascinating to me because what it reflects in this is that the person who wrote this has grown up into this sort of urbanesque elitist environment and it doesn't mean he is an elite per se but it's an urbanesque elitist framing and that everything around his life is shaped and influenced on the value of money and the process that a degree will deliver and that only through a degree can you deliver education why i bring this up because this is at the center of the fight that we're at and it's at a it's a and I'm obviously I'm assuming that the story is real. Okay. But, and maybe it's not, it's a comment on a podcast and it could be anything. But the point that I'm making, if you're going to be honest about that comment, the comment is reflective of a culture that values money. And that's why it's a very interesting read to, to have because it's a, and it's indicative of a generation that has been shaped around this principle of all things are valued in money. The separation, taking the, pot, taking the comment as, as real, okay? What you're seeing there in reflective in that is a division now. It is a, and it just take his reference to his friend. His friend has made a choice to learn a trade skill. But if you know the education path of, edu of college, you will know that trade skills are seen as lesser and demeaning and, non and for uneducated people. There's a lot of truth in his comment of how he sees it. And the perspective of college is to accomplish greatness, education, superiority, intellectual, intellectual dominance. So it's important... To appreciate these comments, I don't, even if it's a bot, by the way, bots learn from us, by the way. That's AI concepts is they learn from us. So it's a reflection either way of culture. And it's an important one because the real challenge that we face at the middle of all of this is the love of money. And that love of money is going to be one of the greatest hurdles that we have to overcome in order to succeed. And you've heard I talked a lot about what I discussed last weekend. And by the way, I'm not, uh, criticisms don't bother me. If there's something of substance in there, I'm going to listen. There was a very good comment shared with me. We have a listener, we have a, quite a few of them around the world. 
there is one particular listener that that shares kind of what's going on in Germany regularly and she wrote the other day and I and I take it really to heart what was said and I'm, I'm pointing this out is because I was coming down pretty hard on German decisions in one of the podcasts in the last few days or last week and the, the, the problem is that sometimes people take that personally. I think we all know that as a as a movement, we're not limited to the United States. This is a global movement of people awakening in the path of God and, and walking that way. What we're all fighting is our governments, and all of our governments at the end of the day are tyrannical whores for power. So the reason I bring that up is that at times I go on some pretty heavy rants, and it is, it's a reminder as well for me, and I'm taking this, I took the comment well, is that the podcast isn't an American podcast. It started out as an American podcast. It, the biggest audience is in the United States. But our second biggest audience is in Canada. And we have audiences in over 110 countries, 120 countries total. So if we're going to be, if I'm going to be fair, I mean, they're, they're that is a, it's a, you know, our third biggest audience is Australia. Our fourth biggest audience right now is the UK. And our fifth biggest audience right now is Brazil. That's amazing. And we've got a, a, a growing listenership in Russia, in Kazakhstan, in Ukraine, <laughs> in Ukraine. Ah, how's that going for you over there? You know, I share the love of Ukraine. But... <clears throat> So I mean, I, I say all this because I take criticisms well. I'm not, I listen to them. But there's a lot to learn sometimes when people unravel because this young man, if that story is true, probably at the core of his his rant is the fact that his friend moved away. He didn't say where, he, he, didn't, if it's, if it, he didn't say where, he didn't say how they moved, if they went to a farm. But there's been a value shift and why is that important in this story tonight? Because, Patriots, this is going to be very commonplace here very soon. We are coming to a rupture point that's unavoidable. And that rupture point is in part what I talked about in the last hour, which is based on this new digital currency. There's going to be many people that will take it and run. And there's going to be many patriots that take it and run because they're going to see it as Nasera, Jacera, this great thing, this fantastic new opportunity with technologies and AIs running us and we won't have any more corruption. You're going to hear all this nonsense. And there's going to be many people, myself included, that are going to say, no, I'm going to go back a bit. I'm going to step back. I don't want that technology in my life. I want to go back to basics. I want to go backwards before we start racing forwards. I want to spend time trying to learn some of the old ways, including some of the ways the Amish do things. And I'm not going to be Amish, but I'm going to want to, I, that's the pursuit I'm in right now. Because what this process has shown me is the fragility of society in the, in the technology age. And there's nothing that's ever going to take that away from me. And that part has changed not that it wasn't there before, but it has become pronounced now. And so this isn't just me because I've had other people sharing this as well. As the pursuit in the relationship with God becomes predominant rather than the pursuit of money, which is ultimately the relationship with Lucifer. When you make money your predominant relationship or God your predominant relationship, those two paths no longer unite. They go opposite directions. And you will see a, an increasing separation in many levels many of them will be social and cultural and it will be harder to relate to people that are part of that other world it already is I mean I see it even when the circles of my family I see those that have been vaxxed thank goodness not my parents but anyway there is a completely different way of seeing things Someone in the extended family that they got sick and the comment was this. Well, it's good. I'm told that now that I've, I've been sick, even though they've been vaccinated and boosted, it's going to be better for me that I got sick because it, will be, it won't be as bad the next time I get it. I, I, have, I can't even comprehend that logic. I mean, you got boosted, you got vaxxed, 
you still got sick and you see it as a good thing because next time you get it, it will be lesser. And so the question is really there. It's like, why did you bother in the begin with? But they don't see it that way. All along this, this hand shuffle that we're seeing around the world of all these different narratives, it's kind of like watching that magic trick with the cups and a ball. And you're seeing them move it around on the table and you think you know where the ball is, but you don't. And the thing is that the people that are in the Vax class and are accepting these narratives, they find it fun to discover that they don't know where the ball is and they're excited about to discover where the ball actually is. Meaning that, no, your narratives, don't pay attention to that narrative where you thought you were going, pay attention to our new narrative. And they're like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Masks don't work, but yes, of course I need to wear them. Vaxes don't actually cure anything, and they're supposed to minimize the symptoms, but I'm so happy that I got sick. This is the, this is the sort of world we're currently in, and this twisted logic is not one that when you're walking a path of truth that you can really relate to. So we went through one phase. I want to there's a number of pieces I'm going to play tonight here, and this one's really good. This comes from Dell Bigtree, and it's a, it's not the whole thing, but it's a segment of a letter that he came across from Australia, and it's talking about the unvaxxed in a really different light, and I, well, I want you to hear this because it ties right in with what I'm talking about. For you, let this sink in. An opinion piece from a vaccinated Australian writer is what it's called. If COVID was a battlefield, it would still be warm with the bodies of the unvaccinated. Thankfully, the mandates are letting up and both sides of the war stumble back to the new normal. The unvaccinated are the heroes of the last two years, as they allowed us all to have a control group in the great experiment and highlight the shortcoming of the COVID vaccines. The unvaccinated carry many battle scars and injuries, as they are the people we tried to mentally break. Yet no one wants to talk about what we did to them and what they forced the science to unveil. We knew that the waning immunity of the fully vaccinated had the same risk profile as others within society as the minority of the unvaccinated, yet we marked them for special persecution. You see, we said that they had not done the right thing for the greater good by handing their bodies and medical autonomy over to the state. Many of the so-called health experts and political leaders in Australia admitted the goal was to make life almost unlivable for the unvaccinated, which was multiplied many times by the collective mob, with the fight taken into workplaces, friendships, and family gatherings. Today, the hard truth is none of it was justified as we took a quick slide from righteousness to absolute cruelty. We might lay the blame on our leaders and health experts for the push, but each individual within society must be held accountable for stepping into the well-laid-out trap. We did this despite knowing full well that principled opposition is priceless when it comes to what goes inside our bodies and we let ourselves be tricked into believing that going into another ineffective lockdown would be the fault of the unvaccinated and not the fault of the toxic policy of ineffective vaccines. We took pleasure in scapegoating the unvaccinated. And that's all truth. So that was a writer, just to clarify again, that was a writer in Australia that wrote the piece that Dell Bigtree was reading. But the piece is nonetheless on point. And it was, it's interesting because I had this discussion earlier tonight, and it was actually after the previous show, and it was a discussion about what all people have been through over the last two years. And it's really amazing to have witnessed it here from my chair and to see the chats and all the things that were discussed. If you recall back how many people were here all in common experience sharing so much of the hurt and the pain of family members rejecting them, not wanting them to come over, sons and daughters denying visits or denying access to grandchildren. There was a brutality that was extolled upon people that chose not to take the vax, that's unprecedented. And in this time now, as this realization is coming through, 
That's something that needs to be held accounted for. We, and I say this because this isn't about holding a grudge. But if we're going to move forward, we have to have accountability for the things that were done. That just means acknowledgement. And ultimately, in a bigger way, that means acknowledgement and accountability before God. This is where that big jump takes into the spiritual realm of this fight and the spiritual warfare of this fight. Because there was many, many hurtful things that were done and said amongst families and friends. And it was always, almost always, it was the unvaccinated as the target of the attack by the vaccinated that literally were just about, just about as happy to see them, even if they were friends and family, to be dead. And that's the sickness of what happened. And that's not a small issue. So it's going to be, you can expect that people are going to want to kind of, let's get past this. And I'm going to be one that says, no, let's not get past this. Let's begin with a discussion about faith. And let's get to a discussion about how it is to treat thy neighbor. And let's talk about the Ten Commandments. And let's talk about God's laws. And let's talk about accountability to Jesus. And then we can get past this. Because this is where we grow as a nation or we fail. And it is going to be a situation here that politicians, you, we've talked about this in, at length, want to brush this under the rug. They have all been complicit in pushing an injection. And furthermore, they have most of them taken either a saline shot and most of them were taking hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin while they knowingly had a vax rolled out on the public that was killing people. That's no longer a forgiveness. That's accountable injustice as crimes against humanity. And all of that sort of talk, that rhetoric about there's, it's coming, I don't count on any, any of that. What I know is that we have to walk with that line of truth. And our faith and our trust rests with God. How that form comes, what form that takes in terms of justice, that's God's to do. I've referred to this many times, but it's an important perspective when you look at Jericho and Joshua and his army. Because the whole point is that they were going to go after Jericho, but they were told to walk that city seven times and seven times on the seventh day with him in prayer. And it's at that point on the seventh day and the seventh tour that the walls collapsed. And it's there somewhere in there that God gives the command to then proceed to slay every man, woman, and child, and donkey. That's brutality beyond imagination. But I bring that up because God will use people for justice as he will also use events for justice. And there is a justice that has to roll out. Some of the justice is just the fact that people need to, in order some of that justice for us is just to be hold people accountable. And that doesn't mean you have to drill a knife into them, but it is a point meaning metaphorically speaking, but I'm just like constantly reminding them, but it is a point that has to be addressed. You have to address it with the confidence and the foundation of faith and simply remind them. Do you remember how you are? Do you remember how you were? We have to know these red lines that we did not cross, that they were willing to cross. I mean, just it is still unimaginable to me the, the hatred that was being spewed by family members. And it's visceral hatred that many experienced. And now those same people have been injected and they are carrying with them a ticking time bomb. That's not even a question. It's happening. I mean, someone in my family who has been able to escape all these issues suddenly just got very sick. And why is that important? Because they're fully vaxxed and boosted, and guess what that means? It is a true indication that the immune system is breaking down now, in the middle of summer in particular. That's, that is a sad point, but they didn't want to listen. So it is important that we, in walking with that line of faith, we're not carrying an axe of vengeance or a grudge but we are holding that line of truth because through that truth, truly, then things are forced to reset. It's very important. 
And because if we don't do that, if we try to do this love and hug thing, peace at any cost, which is the mantra lately in the pews, I'm just going to forgive you. That's not what forgiveness is. Yes, I'm forgiving the burden you put on my heart, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to speak truth to you and say, do you remember how you acted? That's accountability. That's the firmness in the faith that we seem to have lost in the midst of, I'm going to forgive everybody. Christ was very profound and very bold and very direct in his statements. And he forced people to reflect deeply on themselves. And while he did not judge, he put, them be, he put truth before them to have to face who they were. It's the same issue here. And we can pray with people. But at a certain point, these sorts of accountabilities have to be laid out. And as we continue to insist on that measure of accountability in our lives, from ourselves and from those around us, we're shaping a world in the appropriate direction to restore morality and to restore accountability into where we live. Our country needs it because we are literally off the edge and in the, in the gully right now, heading right down towards the bowels of hell with the way that people are living. The recklessness, the unaccountability, and we're not through this sort of reckless craziness yet. People don't believe that the economy is going to collapse. People think that whatever's coming is going to be good. There's a ton of people that think that this is absolutely justifiable. They can't wait. They can't wait to see the system burn down. They, their hatred for what they will frame as Christians or a Christian nation is palpable. And yet what they don't understand is the reason that they even have the right to speak those things is because of the foundations of a Christian nation. Because that's the temperance and tolerance which are given to all to speak truthfully or at least to speak freely from the heart. The reset is upon us. And one of the things that is that trap back to the love of money is going to be that opportunist issues that are going to arise, that people are going to seek to grab and make more money right now in the midst of a collapse. That's, to me, I'm just going to be blunt, that to me is a big sin. You can agree or disagree, but I'm going to give you a point here. The, from the, the blog or, or print group called The Economic Collapse, this was published on July 18th, 2022. The headline reads, we are about to experience an absolutely epic housing crash, the likes of which America has never before seen. And this is a couple quotes. Economic, economic, economists excuse me, at the Federal Reserve Bank and of Dallas put the real estate industry on edge this spring after they published a paper titled Real, Real-Time Market Monitoring Finds Signs of Brewing U.S. Housing Bubble. Why the renewed concern? Over the past year alone, home prices have gone up four times faster than incomes. Simple economic theory which dictates that neither home prices nor incomes can outgrow the other for very long tells us that it's, it isn't sustainable. And then another piece on this same article, the analysis conducted by Moody's Analytics aimed to find out whether economic fundamentals, including local income levels, could support local home prices. On a national level, Moody's Analytics finds U.S. home prices are overvalued by 24.7%. In other words, U.S. home prices are 24.7% higher than they would historically trade at a given current income level. So what's driving that? And we've talked about this before. It's the artificial bumping up of, the, of this. And if you remember, we, I've talked about this in past episodes where I've said that this was inflated artificially so that they could burst the bubble. They were buying houses at unprecedented, overinflated costs. People were selling. They're taking the cash. They're running. And this is the Ponzi scheme as people race for the cash. And I just have to warn everybody here because this has always been the trap. The objective should be and should have always been to pay off debt, pay off your house. If you need to downsize, do whatever you could. That's the goal. What they've been trying to do is to lure people into getting a 
those who would sell big money out of their house that they would go and leverage deeply into another house. And then they're going to snap the bubble on the housing market. And with that, here's a headline. It's in today's uh, Zero Hedge. Blackstone prepares, which Blackstone is currently the largest real estate owner in the United States. Blackstone prepares a record $50 billion to snap up real estate during the coming crash. And this is how they're going to ultimately seize control of private property is they're going to be buying up these houses on 10 cents on the dollar because people can't afford them. The banks are going to repossess them and they're going to swoop in and they're going to buy them up little by nothing for no cost. And people are going to get hit on both ends of this. Even those that sold their house at a high value that then leverage deeply into a new home, take a high risk because the economy is going to reset I don't care if it's a good reset or bad reset. The economy is going to reset. There's no possible way it can sustain where it's going. So if you have not built into your model in your home the sustainability, which is, again, this principle of going back to go forward, we have to live more simply. We have to get away from this debt-ridden economy. They're not out to... They're not out here trying to find a way to make things better for people. They're all leveraging positions so that they can take more away from people and put people more into slavery and debt slavery. That's the game of capitalism in what we call crony capitalism, not true capitalism. And that's the system under which we currently live. So I want to play now a piece that I've already played this week. In fact, I think I played it two nights ago. And it's by Greg Reese. And it leads into where I'm going because the love of money here is the obsessive driver that people are caught into. The Great Reset is principally built around people's love of money. And with love of money comes the jealousy of those that have more money than you and the envy of wishing you had more or at least envy that wishing you had, everybody had the same. All of those emotional aspects which are absolutely against our faith. That love of money is how they have controlled most of humanity. At the center of that, all the tendrils of Babylonian money magic extend. And money has become the central worship for most people. And that's where, again, we have this walk with God, or we have this walk with money. And Right now, there's, you see these leaders falling down around the world, meaning Boris Johnson's down, the Estonian leader stepped down, the Draghi, the, the, the Italian leader has stepped down. Biden is soon to be replaced if he is, hasn't already been replaced. We just haven't seen it publicly yet. Trudeau is going to be replaced. All these people are going to be replaced, and people are all excited. We already had Sri Lanka's got, president step down. And who's filling in the gap? Well, it should come as absolutely no surprise to anybody that all of the figures now that are stepping in, the new prime minister of UK, the new president of Sri Lanka, and it's going to go on this way, are all members of the World Economic Forum. They're changing their team right now. They're putting in a fresh face of teams because they're heading into a new level of tyrannical moves that's going to try to strip away ownership, strip away everything, and they need another type of leader to play this. It's no different than putting in another pitcher on the mound. So I want to play this piece by Greg Reese because he maps this out very well, but since I played it, all of these details have become exceedingly clear. Here you go, 4 minutes, 15 seconds. Thierry on Twitter wrote that everyone who touches Zelensky resigns, which is interesting. After failing the UK at every opportunity to serve globalist interests, Boris Johnson resigns as prime minister, to which the Russian Kremlin expressed good riddance. Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi, who helped deliver Italian weapons to Ukraine, and rallied support for Ukraine's entry into the EU, announced his resignation. Last month, Estonian Prime Minister Kaja Kallas expelled the populist center-left center party, 
claiming that she needed to form a new government to support Ukraine in their war against Russia. And on Thursday, Kallas officially resigned as a formality to form a new government, which he has already reached a consensus between the center-right Reform Party, the Social Democrats, and the conservative Fatherland Party to form a new three-party government to support Ukraine. And Sri Lanka's president, Godabaya Rajapaksa, who supported the Ukraine despite sanctions crippling his own nation, emailed in his resignation after fleeing the country. Beyond resignations and beyond meet and greets with Ukraine's puppet president Zelensky, we have also just seen the assassination of popular anti-globalist leader Shinzo Abe and the dramatic loss of confidence expressed by the people towards Macron, Trudeau, and Biden. What is happening here? On Celia Farber's The Truth Barrier, Catherine Austin Fitz explains that we are seeing a clean-out or political castration of leaders. Draghi, Johnson, Biden, Macron, Abe. Their political capital is exhausted and or they will not push the next wave aggressively. Mr. Global is looking to bring in a whole new round of fresh, meaner leadership. The next wave is total collapse. And it's not easy to find people willing to be the fall guy for the destruction of a nation. It takes a special type of person, which might explain why California Governor Gavin Newsom visited the White House right after Joe Biden was shuffled off to Israel to mumble about the Holocaust. Biden is even unsettling to the stupid, and this entire operation requires stupidity. So things are going to keep getting stranger, but it probably won't last much longer because the global financial reset is now imminent. Sri Lanka was just the beginning, and it looks like South Africa could be next followed by everyone. The fiat fractional reserve banking scheme has been robbing the people blind for decades. But eventually, all the money runs out. And the financial pundits are all saying it's this year. The dollar has just reached parity with the euro. And fudging the numbers will no longer work. They have only one solution left, and that's war. War has often been used to save failing fiat currencies. And having no other options, the psychotic bureaucrats in charge will go to war with Russia, which will only hasten the financial collapse of the West. If it comes to World War III, then it will be the final death blow, making way for a new system. Which means that unless you're holding on to real money, you will soon be broke. Because all that paper in our wallets and numbers on our screens is going to soon be worthless. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. The key part of that was meaner leaders. Anybody thinking these leaders coming in are like second rate, they're not. This is probably their A team. They've run the world with a bunch of thugs and effectively B team. These new leaders coming in are fresh, they're focused, and they're being installed for very particular reasons because they're ruthless. If you think for a minute that Biden's going is a good thing, think again. What's going to replace Biden is going to make Biden look like a walk in the park. And whether it's Newsom or Pelosi or even Michelle Obama, trust me, they're bringing in the A-team to crush everything all at once. And, they, and they're going to bring in the people to control Congress because Congress is a bunch of hand puppet traitors anyway, almost every one of them. That puts the burden back on us, as always. We have to make the decision, and we the people, of what we're going to abide by. And it means sticking together, it means awakening the many, and it means, most importantly, tucking in hard to Father. Now, this is where I think our faith is really tested the most. And it's important to paint these pictures to understand what's coming because as in any conflict, you have to get a solid perspective of what your enemy is doing. Know your enemy. Our enemy is ruthless. But what we seem to often forget, because we feel 
that this attack is coming at us individually. We're not sitting here. I think if we were sitting in a line like the old Roman lines or Sparta's lines, there would be a sense of camaraderie and you'd be feeling stronger. And I'm not saying people are not strong. So if, if this, it's like they always say, if the shoe fits, wear it. If not, you know, just listen. Because I'm not attacking anybody in particular. But I do get the sense when I hear from people that there's this sense of, like, I'm, a, I'm alone, but I know I have fellow, fellow patriots other places. Well, in God's world, that, that, that distance doesn't matter. And it's something we need to remember. What's most important is we know as a movement that we're leaning into God and trusting in him implicitly. And if you look at it from another perspective, as I often like to say, is God has us each where he needs us to be, which means we each have a mission. Consider yourself an elite operator. Consider yourself an elite operator working behind enemy lines, and you've been given a task to disrupt and to collapse enemy defenses. If each one takes that responsibility and understands what that means, that means that you're operating daily in hostile environments. You're doing so, and you have to do so with somewhat measure of stealth. But every engagement you have on a personal level ultimately is to bring, be bringing Jesus in to their hearts, rupturing their narratives in whatever way that is. Sometimes that doesn't even mean mentioning Jesus. Rupturing their narratives, rupturing their acceptance of this new slave economy leaving the seeds, planting the spiritual seeds that are necessary, living a life of example that others will look at, and even though they might mock now, they will later recognize the importance of it and seek you out for knowledge and guidance. And effectively, each one of us is operating that way around the world. That's a very powerful and noble place. It's, it's, the, elite, it's the elite troops that God has deployed. So as we see these big change-ups, they would not be changing up to more ruthless leaders if they did not have a fear that something was going to disrupt their plan. And what is that something? Something is going to disrupt their plan. They can fear it all they want. The reality is it's going to be disrupted because God's on the move. And these are like fleas on a bear's butt. That's about how significant they are. I, and God is literally going to shred them and he's going to shred them through us. And that's the power we have to embrace. You know, I, I always love the whole way that David interacts with Goliath. And you know, I've talked about this a lot because David doesn't come up and say, I'm going to just, I'm going to hear it to kick your butt for the army. David is stepping in on behalf of the Lord and he's, absolutely calling Goliath out for, def for defaming God, the Lord of hosts. And he lets, and he doesn't in there say that the victory is going to be his anywhere. He says, this is going to be the Lord's victory and the Lord will deliver you on this, deliver you to me on this day. You see, that's the, when we take that approach, that's just like in Malachi. It's just like in the story of Malachi, we're putting God first on all things. We're dealing with a doubting population, a population that has such little regard for the power of God that they think God is just a convenient Sunday, Sunday day trip or they, some sort of mythical thing that these weirdo Christians do. They believe in some ethereal space and whatever. We're going to go out and we're going to make money. So where all this comes back to, in at least what I was starting on that thread, was the idea of exploiting others. There's going to be enormous opportunities as they crash this economy for people to step in to try to exploit others, take their property, invest with places like Blackstone where they know that they're going to be the big heavy hand buying up property so that they can make some money on 401k, on their investments, whatever that is. Patriots, I'm telling you and I'm speaking this absolutely truth from my heart. What was put on my heart Sunday morning at 2, 3, and 4 a.m., was bold and direct. Repent and do not game the system. And it was very clear. And I mean this, I am speaking this as absolute truth. You take it and leave it at your own risk. But we, anybody right now that is going to be trying to profit and profiteer from the collapse and taking advantage of others, it is going to be devastating from God's perspective. 
There will be no mercy shown. And though that mercy may not be invisible to us right away, people are making some very big choices right now. As they made a choice when they took the injection, they are making the bigger choices as equally big choices now of how they treat their neighbor and their fellow brethren in this moment in time when the collapse begins. As I've said many times, if prepping is just for yourself, I, I think it's a fail. But if prepping is to set aside enough portions for yourself and to have access to share with others, including Bibles, including other good things for, for the trust in the Lord, seeds and other things to help people get a root and get a start, then I think that we're doing the absolute right thing. And I think it's the direction that we go and why we prep. Because we become that extension of God in our walk. We become the gifters, the givers, the caregivers, the spiritual healers. But if all we're trying to do is bunker up and look forward to eating 10 years worth of tuna that you've stockpiled up because it's supposedly going to last as a meat in a can, I hope you love tuna because that's probably all the portion you're going to get from God. This is a very significant time in our lives and a very powerful time to where we are making a decision at that at that split in the road. And I am not implying that they are not recoverable. In fact, we should never accept that. But we do need to stay that true walk with God where it is a red line. We don't cross it. We're not going to be, we're not trying to reach so far over that we fall into their pit to try to save them. It's just like a drowning person. And if you've ever done recoveries for learn to do lifeguarding recovery with a drowning person, you'll know that when a person is flailing, you cannot help them. And at times in a, in a recovery, it is important to actually let the person almost exhaust themselves to the point of drowning before you take them. Because if they are flailing and doing what they're doing, they will sink you as well. The objective is to get them safely to the shore even if they are half unconscious when you get them there, at least they will live. That's, for me, one of the strong metaphors that I always remind myself with as we walk with Christ. And I think Christ shows that in his walk and profoundly shows that. There's going to be tremendous temptations going forward. There's going to be temptations to be able to offer an easy way out of this. And it will be a question of who is remaining in, in this process. But what I know is if, you're, if we're going to take a choice of walking as a disciple, we shouldn't have an expectation of seeing some sort of glorious end to this, which seems like everybody wants this. You see it all the time. It's going to be over after October. The military is going to fix it all. That doesn't add up. If you... And there's, I can't share some of these. I can just express what the sentiment of them. But the information that's shared with me with guys that are still in, trust me, it isn't all roses. It's anything but. There is an illusion that's been painted over the military to kind of give this concept that some, somehow they're going to be there to do it all. I read something tonight that said, you know, why did... The military is obviously just playing out a script because they've allowed Russia to real, reveal the bioweapons labs. I don't disagree with that fact, that there's an element within the military that's not going to go to a nuclear war over the fact that Russia is revealing bioweapons labs. They're staying neutral in terms of the political fight, and they're staying out of the defense contracting fight and the corrupted military financial fight that's really being exposed. But the difference between exposing bioweapons labs and allowing or causing a nuclear war, that's a, a very bad example. The question we always come back to is, if this is the plan, there's a lot of people suffering. And if you are waiting for people to have to suffer to wake up as part of the plan, it's an odd plan. Because that's not a human plan. God's plan, however, does work like that. God does bring suffering to people and to nations because the 
God's vision and God's reach on this is always greater than anything we can imagine. And it's always about bringing as many home as possible, even if it's the enemy that's included in that bringing home. Habakkuk tells a story of, the, of leading up to the taking over of Israel by the Chaldeans, which come from Babylon. And in that story, what we learn is that God is doing that because he is also trying to bring the Chaldeans into his fold. See, this is where, again, the noise and the rhetoric around the quicks ends doesn't biblically line up. But the trap that we've all been exposed to, been tied to in certain points in our lives, and the trap that they are ramping up on is all this love of money. And that's how they've got people snagged. That's part of what we call Babylonian money magic. And in simple terms, that is the ability for money to be used in such a way to create the perception of infinite wealth, fractional banking, which is to create $1 and turn it into 10 magically just because you're going to loan it out 10 times even though you still have $1. And it's to create the hook into people of thinking that money is unlimited through a concept of debt and and an invisible enslavement through debt enslavement. And that's in principle how this entire structure around our world has been woven. And as it crashes down, they have to fill it quickly with something because if people don't have a fill quickly, they're going to start looking around and they're going to say, wait a minute, why? how come I don't live like that? How come I don't live sustainably? So they're going to hit hard. They're going to crush it. They're going to create food shortages. They're going to create inaccessibility to products. And they're going to do everything they can to suppress the message of those that are, have figured a way through this, to isolate that message. That means our work at the end has to be more in the traditional sense of discipleship. It means face-to-face. It means in our communities. It means talking to people. Because our story, our strength, our love of God has, that has allowed us to walk through this is what they fear the most. And they can keep fearing it. Because there's no stopping God on this. And there's no stopping us. And that's our greatest strength. It's the most deadly part of this war for them. And it's where truly the sword of the spirit cuts through anything that they do. And leaves them filleted on the battlefield. That means we do have authority and dominion over them. And that means if we trust in God, they're already done. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we're blessed as we come to you tonight, just a time to reflect, reflect very deeply on the challenges that are before us, but most importantly, some of the idolatries that can trip us up so easily. And Lord, this is not a statement of our own guilt or sin, though we do have it, but just an acknowledgement as well that many times in our attempt to walk here that it's easy for us to trip up. As in Timothy 6.10, in the love of money, it's not something that we seek, but it's, a, it's the relationship to the world that unfortunately has been so inoculated into us that sometimes it's the only way we see the world. So Father, what we pray for tonight is just greater clarity. We ask you as a father to your sons and daughters to provide us with the clarity in our own lives that we can see into those places that maybe are obscured. That we can see those places where we're hooked into an idolatry or we're hooked into a worship that we didn't intend. That we can find an honesty in our hearts and the way we see the world and hear the world that only you can provide. So we're putting ourselves before you humbly this evening, Father acknowledging that we do sin, acknowledging that we, we have transgressions in our path, but asking as our Father to help us see clearly where they are and in doing so to help us see the way that we can leave them behind to step more purely into this walk with you. Guide us, Father. Bless us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.
We all have challenges. But it's the overall intent of the heart. I just can't stress that enough. We have to be true in our heart and our intent. And and we're gonna make we're gonna stumble. And that's why we repent. Repent though with the courage to know that God wants you to stand back up. He doesn't want you laying down and wallowing on the floor. He doesn't want you like, oh my goodness, it's all over. This is a war. We have to win this war. And we're going to win this war on the spiritual battlefield first. And what manifests in the physical plane reflects where we are on the, on the spiritual plane. And that war that we're waging is a war for the hearts and the minds. But in a profound way. Not to convince people of something that's untrue, but to lead people to discovering the truth. And that's, in itself, the most powerful tool we have in this fight. People throw that around a lot. The truth shall set you free. The truth shall do this. The truth shall do that. Look, if people can understand the relationship in their life as a starting point of how we are not on our own, but we are part of God, if they can just accept, just accept that little piece, that little seed, literally transforms everything in their life and they will seek and we can be there to point to where they need to go. Don't ever underestimate your power in this fight. And it's the story of David again. What seemed like a lowly shepherd boy toppled the giant that held an army at bay. Everybody has David in them. All we have to do is trust in Father and to let him guide us. And every one of us will face a Goliath in one form or another. And as we topple that with trusting in Father, the enemy's ranks collapse. It isn't a single event that does things. It's the multitude of events that are led by God that destroys the enemy and destroys him decisively. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. Keep your prayers solid. Reach into God, ask him to guide you and trust in him. God is with us, he'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something. Pull us up to the level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now
sets down over the hill where the lost got found. Reaching through somehow. Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud. When the seasons change, I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith, when your soul answers calls far away.